0: Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Woo! All right. Well, thank you for applauding for Jesus, not me. So, hey, we are glad that you're here. I'm Nate. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I get to be the Life Group's pastor here at New Life. I get that privilege. So, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. If this is your first time, we're glad you're here. We want to welcome you who are worshiping with us in Kearney, as well as in North Platte, and those of you online. So, let's welcome everybody. Come on, let's welcome them. We are... We are so glad that you've taken the time to worship with us today at New Life. We're in our teaching series, week number three, one plus one equals... You got it. You guys are awesome. We're talking about relationships, talking about marriage relationships specifically, and how God designed married couples to become one, oneness. And so, how many of you are married today? Raise your hands. Come on, all across all of our campuses. Right on. Very cool. You can go ahead and put your hands down. How many of you hope to be married one day? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Come on. Keep them up. Keep them up. Look around. Look around. Look around. Look. Hey, all the way over there in Kearney and North Platte. Yeah, look around out there at the East Venue. Hopefully, you guys can connect afterwards in the lobby and exchange numbers. And so. You can tip me later if you'd like. So, no, man, we are excited for marriages, and we're excited for what God wants to do in us, even if we're single today, or if we're widowed, or wherever whatever our relationship status is. Um, Our our relational math comes from uh, Matthew 19, and so we're going to take a look. This is kind of this is our uh, theme verse um, for our teaching series. Jesus, he replied. That at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and He said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Come on, say it with me. Say flesh. Flesh. Awesome, they are one flesh. That's God's relational math. I know the world will tell you something completely different um, about math. It's one plus one equals two. But this is God's relational math when it comes to marriages. And so we, I believe that marriages um, are under attack, and God wants to strengthen marriages. The world can tell you what it wants, and it can try to redefine marriages, but it's, it's a man and a woman. Amen, right? Come on. Okay, I'm preaching to a little bit younger crowd, so you've been more adapted into the world, and so this is God's word today, and I believe it will set us free, it will give us, it will bring light, it will bring hope, it will bring forgiveness, it will do all of these things if we'll allow it to, amen? So I'm, I'm hoping that you'll come along on this journey with me. See, God created married couples to become one, but if you're married today, you know that that doesn't always happen, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? It doesn't mean that you have to be exactly alike, praise the Lord. It, me- it doesn't mean that you always have to agree on everything. You don't have to like the same style of music, the same food, or the TV shows, and so on. You don't have to. I know it's the same. It's not that way at my house. Sometimes, have you ever met those couples that sometimes just dress alike? And you're like, dude, what happened to you guys? But there's people out there that like to be alike, but my wife and I, we've done it. I'll confess. We've been like that. We've done that. But, But... We don't have to be alike in those areas, but there are a few specific areas that we've got to have oneness. As husbands and wife, you have to be unified. You have to be committed, you have to be accountable, and you have to be sexually pure for one another. You may not agree on what type of food you're going to take out on Friday night, but you do have to agree on being united, committed, accountable, and sexually pure for one another. So why, would, why do we desire this oneness? There's a, you might be asking, like, well, and why did God design this oneness? It is God's plan that your life and your marriage would imitate to the world the ways of God and the love and the grace and the mercy of God. Your marriage, when it has its rough spots, it can be an imitator to the world when you forgive and you love and you work through. It imitates the love and the mercy of God. When the world says, oh man, just divorce them and go find you a new one. When you work through things, or when you're a love, and you're that, you're that couple that's just like, we don't have any issues, we just love each other all the time. Praise God, I believe that they're out there. That is an imitator of God's love and grace and mercy and who God is, because he designed marriage. Not the world. When we talk about sex and the things inside of, that happen inside of marriage, some of us are like, ooh, that's gross. God designed it. It's a beautiful thing. The world has perverted it and made it gross and ugly Today, we're going to look at that a little bit. Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of God. So whether you're single today, be an imitator of God. Whatever your relationship status is today, be an imitator of God. Be an imitator of God. But there, there's, there's these some ones that want to kill your imitation of God and your oneness with your spouse. There's a couple of verses that talk specifically about these some ones that want to kill the oneness in your marriage. In your relationship with God. John ten ten says this, that there is a thief that comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. There's an enemy. If you've been around for very long, you understand that there's an enemy. If you've been in the Bible for very long, you've probably heard this verse. Oh, yeah, there's an enemy. He wants to come, kill, steal, and destroy. I get that. He wants to take you out. He wants to take out the purposes and the plans that God has designed for you, and he wants to take them out in you so that you can't be used by God, so that you can't be an imitator for God. The other someone is this, found in James 1, 14 through 15. Temptation comes from our own sin, our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. You and I have this, our own desires. It may not be something sexually impure. It might be another thing. It might be greed. It might, Who knows what it might be, but you do, I bet. And we have these desires that want to take us away, and if we give in and we feed the wolf of selfish desires, guess who wins? The selfish desires and not the wolf of God inside of us. You've heard that metaphor before, maybe? If you, whichever wolf you feed wins? So you want to feed the wolf of God and let it grow inside of you. That's not in my notes, so that's like kind of a freebie, I guess. But so now that we've kind of identified what these someones are, an enemy, and my selfish desires... And maybe we've had a moment to think and go, yeah, I know what, my, what wants to take me out. Let's look at three killers of oneness in your marriage and relationships that all of us are vulnerable to. The first one is pornea. It kills oneness. It wants to kill oneness. And some of you are like, dude, that's a Greek word. I don't even know what that means. It's, it's, it's the word for sexual immorality. And when we read that, I think some of us go, um, uh, I just like to hide behind that because I'm not really sure what that means. What, what is sexual immorality? What does it mean? And, and, how, and it's, it doesn't seem to be super clear today. Um, and so some of us go, okay, that sounds good, but I'm not sexually immoral. Come on, man. Like, and so today, I want to be very clear about what the definition of sexual immorality is. You're going to see some words in just a moment that you're going to go, okay. Your mind is going to go to a place and go, Is that even allowed for church? But it's in God's word. And we struggle with it. And we deal with it. Statistics say that 50% of the people in this room will have struggled with an addiction to watching inappropriate things on social media, on a device, whatever. And then marriages are ending in 50%. Yeah. Today what is sexual immorality? Let's take a look at the definition. Anything causing stimulation or sexual pleasure with anyone you are not married to, including yourself. Sexual immorality, anything causing stimulation or sexual pleasure with anyone you are not married to, including yourself. God designed this act of sexual pleasure to take place in the confines of marriage between one man and one woman. Can I be any clearer? That's God's design, and anything outside of that is sin. It's not pleasing God, and some of you might be asking, "Uh, hey Nate, I'm not sexually immoral, you know, we've been dating for a year or six months, and we're in a committed relationship, so are you talking about premarital sex, fornication? Yes, I am. That's not God's design for sex outside of marriage. It's designed inside of the confines of a union, between you and God and that person, it's their safety there. Others of you might be like, so you're saying looking at someone lustfully is a sin? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's sexually immoral, and if you're married, it's adultery. And there's a ton of scriptures all through the Bible, but it's something that's like, I think sometimes we want to shy away from and go, oh. But we're living in the midst of it. We're living in a sexually immoral world. And if we think America's bad, you should read the Bible and find the context of some of the things that are going along in the church of Ephesus and Thessalonica and the culture that's going on. You basically get to define it back then. You could define whatever you thought was sex. You could define whatever you thought was for marriage and they would just let it go. The government didn't care. At least we kind of have a government that goes, hey, this is what it's going to be or, or we're going to fight for it and stand for it. They were more sexually moral then than we are now. So if you think, oh, this isn't for me, this is a good book, Nate, this is old school, this doesn't apply to me, you're wrong. You're wrong. So what do we do with, what does God's word say about sexual immorality? Ephesians 5.3 says this, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of Impurity. Impurity. How many of you like brownies? Anybody like brownies? Okay, I, I was kind of hard at you in the beginning. I'm trying to lighten it up a little bit, so help me out. You like brownies, anybody? All right, cool. It'd be like if I showed up with a, with a nice pan of brownies. Yeah, praise the Lord. I show up with my brownies, and I go, dude, these are off the charts brownies. Man, these are better than Betty Crocker, man. They've got a special ingredient. And you're like, oh, what's your special ingredient? I'm like, it's of the highest ingredients. It's the best. Neat, neat. What's the special ingredient? What's, what's in your brownies? My dog, Rivers Dog Poop. It's the highest quality. It's the best hunting dog food that you can buy. And it's in there. Would anybody line up to eat my brownies? No, except for a junior high boy, maybe. <laughs> Nobody's going to go, dude, give me some of your brownies. It's got the secret ingredient. It's got impurities of dog poop. Nobody would do that. But yet we settle for these impurities. And what is impurity? Impurity is a poison. It would be like if somebody poured sulfuric acid right here. I don't know if you know, if you're a chemist or anything, I'm not really, but I know sulfuric acid can melt your face off. It will burn through your shoes, eat your skin, and eat your bone. And if it was poured right here, none of us would go, oh, cool, let's play with it, yeah. Let me get my face so close that I can see the reflection. You wouldn't do that. It's an impurity an impurity. It wasn't designed for you. It wasn't designed to eat your face off. It wouldn't be good to play with that. So today porn is a poison. Inappropriate conversations with someone that isn't your spouse at work on Snapchat Instagram, Facebook it's poison. There's, there's, nothing, it's, there's nothing harmless about it. There's nothing innocent. It's addictive and it wants to enslave you today and it wants to destroy your marriage and your family. It also hurts your spouse. And if you're single today, it hurts your future spouse. Some of you are like, well, how does it really do that? Sexual immorality causes insecurity and comparison to take over your mind and their mind. We already live in a culture with high expectations of comparison. When you flip through Instagram or you flip through Facebook, what are you doing? You're looking through and going, dude, they're always on vacation. I wish I had a life like them. Or man, I wish I had a new car or what. Look at all the new clues they got. You know what I'm saying? Like all we do is compare, compare, compare. And that's what it does. When we look at sexually immoral things and we live sexually immoral, it causes us to want to compare and go, dude, I got to get better, man. I like need to go work out because I'm like not that good. And what happens is if you're a dude and you look at that stuff and then... When you share and your wife finds out about it, what is she doing? She's comparing herself going, dude, I gotta go get Botox. I gotta go color my hair. I gotta get my nails done. I gotta go get a new wardrobe. I gotta look like what he's looking at. And it's a comparison game. And what happens is comparison can be the number one thing that destroys your marriage and your purpose. God loves you just the way that you are. He loves you enough not to leave you where you're at, but he loves you just the way that you are. Stop comparing yourself to anybody. Maybe go on a diet or change, you know, read some books or better yourself or go exercise. I don't know. Better yourself, but just be who you are. God loves you just the way that you are. And if your friends don't think you are cool enough to hang out with you, go find some new friends. It's okay. There's a... Seven billion people on this earth. These three people in Carnage don't like you. Get over it. (laughs) Or in North Platte. Get over it. Stop comparing yourself. Stop comparing yourself. It's not healthy. It's eating you alive. It's not God's design for you. And if you're looking at stuff, watch out because it's one click that the enemy has potential to take both you and your spouse out. It's not just affecting you, but it's affecting them. It's not just affecting you and your spouse, it's affecting your kids. I've had people come in to me when I was in youth ministry and say, yeah, my kids are sexually active. you want to know my first response? And I ask it. Were you sexually active when you were their age? Yep. Man, why are you here talking to me? Why don't you talk to them? The apple doesn't far fall from the tree. There's something about this that rubs off and it's not healthy. And if, you're, if it's in your home, you need to cut it out. You've you got to cut it out. So what is the antidote for porneia? The psalmist wrote and asked the same question in Psalm 19.9. How can anyone stay on the path of purity, they asked. The conclusion came by living according to your word. Dude, I hate to read. Yeah, well, tough. By according to your word, you've got to get... God's word, not just in your mind. Some of you are like, oh yeah, I go to church one, you know, on Sundays, it's good. That's not good enough. That's like saying, all right, I got 25 of Jesus, 25% of Jesus in my life, and the rest of my life I only got like the 75% of the world. Who's going to win? The world will win every time if you only got one little sliver of Jesus that's coming in. You've got to be in the word. You've got to be a reader of the word. You've got to be a doer of the word. You've got to be a liver of the word. You've got to let it transform you. It's got to be the bread of life. It's gotta be the lamp unto your feet and the light unto your path. It's gotta, you gotta take what's in the dark and bring it to the light, and I'm gonna get to that in a moment, but you gotta bring what's in the dark and bring it to the light. What used to just draw you in, let God's word transform you by the renewing of your heart and your mind. What used to draw you in now repulses you. That's what the word of God says. Man, it's like, dude, I don't need that crap. That's not healthy. I don't need any of that. You gotta allow God's word to do that, but you gotta get it. So what do you you need to do? Get you around some godly brothers and sisters in Christ. Get on your version and start a a reading plan. Find some podcasts of some cool speakers. I bet you if you asked anybody, they could tell you at least three good speakers that they listen to. You've got to get it into your system or it will never come out of you. When you jump into a pool, does it change the way that you look? Yes. Some makeup says, oh no, your mascara will not run. But when you jump into a pool, it trans—it transforms the way that you look. You want to get that in God's word. Just like you and I have to eat every day. We should be running to the bread of life, God's word, to fill us up. Amen? Amen. The next thing that we need to do is we need to respect the load. I'm going to tell you a story so you can better understand. A transport company placed a very important ad in a local newspaper, and it read like this. Wanted conscientious and experienced truck driver to transport TNT across the narrow mountain roads. Pay is very good. I bet it is. So three brave brave drivers interview for the job. The foreman asked each of them this one question. When you turn a corner on a tight mountain road, how close to the edge can you drive without slipping off? The first driver responded, oh, I have years of experience. I can get as close as one foot from the edge. The second applicant said, I can hang the outside edge of my tire right off the edge and still stay on the road. And the third person replied, I respect the load and the danger. I would never get close enough to find out. That's the kind of people that we've got to be. Sexual immorality is like TNT. It's explosive. It's dangerous. When it's not not used in the confines of marriage, sex, it can be a very dangerous thing. Some people think that they can play with it and not get hurt. Other people think that they can walk right up to the edge and have enough willpower to say, I'm not gonna give in to that. And some people think they can handle the explosion. But I wanna encourage you, if you think that like that, the Bible says that you're a person who lacks common sense and wisdom. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. Scriptures say that we need to flee from sexual immorality. You need to run from it you got to run from it. you got to set boundaries around it and be like, dude, I'm not getting close to that. That's the edge. I don't want to fall off and die. One look can derail everything. So maybe you need accountability in in your life. Let me just tell you, this is not just a guy thing. This is a girl thing too. This is a humanity thing. So many times I think that we go, oh, that's dudes. It's all dudes. It's not on dudes. It's on women too. Women struggle with this. So I wanna give you a, a, a cool uh, way that you can help prevent looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at. It's called, this. It's an, it's an app, it's called X3 Watch. It costs a little bit amount of money, a little bit of money that you invest can save your, save your marriage, can save your life, can prevent you, prevent you from disaster down the road. So you can go to their website, you can purchase it, you can put it on their phone. What you do is you find an accountability partner or a couple accountability partners. And what you do is you, you shut off Safari, you do all your search engine through X3 Watch. And what it does is it sends an email to your, to your accountability partner. So if you're looking at things that are inappropriate, it'll send them an immediate email and say, hey, you, want to talk, you might want to talk to them. Or you definitely want to talk to them. It's an accountability. Nobody wants to have that conversation. Some of you are going, dude, I don't need that. I'm, I'm Dude, I'm strong enough. I got it. I can take care of it. I'll fix it. Don't worry about it. No. You're not that good. Why in the world would you try to resist the temptation in the future that you have the power to eliminate today? Well, I'll resist it tomorrow. You can eliminate it right here, right now. Will you draw the line in the sand and go, you know what? I, I need that. Maybe you don't even need that, but it, how cool would it be if you went to your spouse and said, hey, I think we should maybe get that so we can keep each other accountable, that brings oneness into your relationship. I guarantee it, he or she will go, man, that's cool, yeah, let's do that. There's oneness that takes place. You're inviting them in, you're going, you know what, nothing's gonna hide in the dark. Nothing's gonna hide in the dark. Another thing I would encourage you to do is fast. Fast from social media, whether you struggle with this or not. I would encourage you to fast from social media or technology. Some of you are like, Nate, I don't know what fasting is fasting is this it's setting aside the time that you would normally be on the device instagram facebook snapchat you set aside that time instead of being on that and you spend time with god whether in his word in time of worship it purifies you it helps to purify your spirit and your mind it sets you apart to be used for the greater purpose to be an imitator of god But some of you are like, dude, I I can't do that. I'm like 14, Nate. I've always grown up with technology. I have to have it all the time. I'd like to draw your attention to 1 Corinthians 6, 12. The same issue, not with social media, was going on. But the people were saying, I have the right to do anything. Some of you are saying, I have the right to do anything. And I would say, yep, you're right. And Paul said, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, they came back and said. But he said to them, but I will not be mastered by anything. If you can't say no to it, you don't own it, it owns you. So today, if you said, I I can't do that. It's trying to master you. It's trying to master you. And I don't want to be mastered by anything. I don't want to be mastered by caffeine, pornography, overeating, overexercising, greed, money, whatever it is. I don't want to be mastered. I only want to be mastered by the Lord Jesus. Anybody else there? So what do we got to do? We got to set up safeguards. Set up safeguards so that you can be used for the glory of God. The accountability isn't to go, let me put the thumb down on you, let me put the thumb down on you, let me put the thumb down. No, it's to elevate and increase the glory and the purposes that God has designed specifically for you because you're a unique being, specifically for you. God has good works that he's designed specifically for you that nobody else in this room can do. And when we settle for a a little pleasure, we miss out on what God has has best for us. It separates us from God. The second thing that that kills oneness is secrets. Secrets don't make friends. Secrets hide in the dark. Secrets deceive. It could be a sexual sin. It It could be a separate bank account that you've been hiding from your spouse today. It could be a number of things that you're hiding, but secrets hurt they bring pain. So what's the antidote for secrets? Proverbs 28, 13 says this people who conceal their sin will not prosper. You don't find healing, you don't find forgiveness. But if those but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. You find healing, forgiveness, when you take that which is in the dark and you bring it into the light, you find forgiveness and healing and mercy. See, in the Bible, it says that we confess our sins in two places, two places, one to God and one to people. So if we confess our sins to God, we find forgiveness. First John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's, there's, when we take our darkness and bring it to light and we confess it, God already knows about it, but He's waiting for you to humbly lay it down and go, God, I need your help. So I confess my sin to you. He is faithful. He is just. He will forgive our sins and purify us. You're not that good. I'm not that good to make myself better, but He purifies us from all unrighteousness and makes me look like I'm a brand new person. Like I've never sinned. He purifies me, He does the work. I just come humbly and say, God, fix me. I'm broken. It's like if you have your phone. Anybody got a phone? All of you have phones, I know. You got a phone, it's broken. When you do, you go to Verizon, US Cellular, you know, AT&T, T, you know, T-Mobile or something, they're all gonna pay me money for saying all this stuff. So I'm just, gonna, you know, I'm just gonna keep rattling on. But what do we do? We take it in and go, hey, can you help fix this? And what do they do? They reboot it. Back to the original settings that the designer and creator designed it for. That's what we gotta do each and every day. We got to come back to God and say God you got to reboot me because when I left, left to myself I'll go to the world and I will let the world just invade me. My thinking changes, the way that I dress, the way that I act, the way that I talk, the way that I live, all of these things will be tra- be changed. But we got to go back to God and let him do the purifying, let him do the changing. If we confess our sins with people, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, you find healing. There's healing that comes You don't find healing in the dark. You don't find freedom in lies. You find healing in the light and you find freedom in truth. I'm reminded of a story when I was 12 years old and it has to go along with secrets. And so when I was 12 years old, my my friend had uh, purchased some used golf clubs from from a garage sale. and And so we had them in our backyard and we were chipping around. And I was like, dude, let's go over in the field across the street and let's let's tee that ball up and let's pull out that driver and see if we can just smoke that ball. He's like, okay, let's do it. So we go over there, and so all my buddies get around, and so we're they're hitting it, and you know they're topping it, and it's not going anywhere. And I'm like, give me that thing, let me try. So I like I tee it up, and I grab the you know I grab the club, and I don't hold it. I'm holding it like a hockey stick and a and a baseball bat, and that's not the way you're supposed to hold it. You're supposed to interlock your fingers. so If you don't know, ask a golfer. So I'm, I get up there and I get in my stance. And I'm like, do my wiggle, you know. And so I'm like, all right, here we go. And I'm like, in the name of Jesus, let this ball fly, basically. And I just rear back and I hit that ball, and that ball just. Gone. And I'm going. My buddy's like, dude, nice shot. It doesn't have a slice on it, it has a nice little draw, comes right in out of the field into the road. And when a golf ball hits concrete, what happens? It hits the, the crevice the, the, and it just went left. All of a sudden, here it goes flying across the neighbor's yard, right into the window of my neighbor's house. And I'm going, oh man. And my buddy's like, dude, that was awesome. I'm like, this is terrible. And you know when you're you're a kid, you're like sweating and your heart's pounding and you're like, oh, I'm gonna throw up. Oh, man, why did I do this? I'm an idiot. And you're like, what do you do? do? You're wrestling with what what do I do? And I knew what I was supposed to do. My buddies knew what I did. They'd go tell their mom and tell the neighbor. So I'm like, I gotta do something. So I go home and I find my mom. She's inside cooking food in the kitchen. I'm like, mom, oh, I broke the neighbor's window. She's like, You know what you need to do? And I said, Yeah. So I walked down to the neighbor's house. I knock on the door, and the nice lady comes to the door. She's, I was like, Hi, ma'am. Sorry to bother you. She's like, oh, I was just cooking dinner. I was like, Yeah. Can you come out here real quick? See this orange golf ball? It's stuck in your window. <laughs> I, I did that. And she's like, I didn't even know it. I'm like, Why did I say anything? <laughs> And so I was like, ma'am, I'll I'll pay for it. And she's like, okay, no problem. We'll get it taken care of. And so, you know, she was nice about it. I felt, I was like, all right, good. Praise the Lord. And so, you know, most people would have their husband come home or the wife if, you know, whatever, take the window out and then you take it down to get it replaced, right? That's the cheap version, cheap way to do it. No, not them. They call out the, the window repair person. They come out, take the window out, replace it right there on site. $300! For this little window. I'm 12 years old, I have a paper route. Like, I got $300, it hurt. Sometimes when we have secrets, it's hurt. It hurts to share, but there's joy that comes in the morning. Though there may be pain, there's joy that comes in the morning. It may be difficult for you to share the secret. It may cost you much. It may cost you a lot of tears and pain, but I promise you the guilt that you will feel, the freedom that you will feel, the hope that you will feel, the closeness that you will feel together, it it outweighs the pain and the darkness. Secrets want to kill. You got to bring them into the light. So this week, I can't get up and preach to you guys about secrets. Not gonna do it, not the way that I live my life. So this week I call my wife and we, I take her out to dinner. And we go out to dinner and I start pouring out my heart and said, here's some secrets. Here's some impure thoughts that I've had. This is where I've lived before. I didn't even get to finish my burger, there were so much tears. But guess what else I found? Was she angry? I'm sure of it. You can talk to her about it. Was she frustrated? Probably. Did she know? No. But there was grace, there was mercy, there was forgiveness. When we walked out of that place, out of that joint, we were so much closer than when we walked in. Today, as Christians, we've got to do the tough things. It may not be easy. But it's not our job to choose the easy things in life. It's our job to choose righteousness, purity, the things of God. It's the things that bring us and and help us be who God's called us to be today, church. So today, real quick. Today, if you're somebody who gets the privilege of being on the other end of a confession. Yes, you may be angry. Yes, you may want to throw things. That's why I would encourage you to take them out in public, go out to dinner. (laughs) Yes, you may want to say, how dare you? But I want to encourage you, don't make a snarl. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. Listen to them. They're saying, hey, I need some help. I need your help. I I don't want us to be divided any longer. I want oneness. Yes, there may be some consequences. I get that. But don't overreact. Just respond out of the love and the grace and the mercy. That's my prayer for you, that you would respond out of love and grace and mercy as much as God has given you that you would give back to your spouse today. I'm not saying you have to understand and get it all together. That will come. But just receive it and and say thank you. And then figure out how to work it out together. The third thing, I'm over time, the third thing today, apathy kills oneness. Apathy, the lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. It's this I don't care attitude. Some of you have been married for 28 years or longer. Others of you are somewhere in the middle. Next Sunday, my wife and I, we celebrate six years. Thank you. Here are some things that might, here are some parameters or some things, some warning signs that might be going on that there's apathy in your relationship. The lack of physical intimacy. Date nights are disappearing. Doing your own thing most of the time without each other. You're so busy with the kids that you don't have time for your spouse. Those might be some warning signs. So what is the antidote for this? You need to write this down or memorize this. I will work for the one I already have. That's the antidote for apathy. I will work for the one I already have. You used to, you used to dress up and you would take her out and wine and dine her, right, men? So why stop now? I don't care if you've been with her for 10 years, 10 minutes, 30 years. It doesn't matter. Continue to work for the one that you already have. Women, you used to do your hair, get your nails done, get your, put your earrings on. Woo! Don't stop. Okay? Don't stop. You might have started dudes with a six-pack, now you got a keg, you got the dad bod going on. <laughs> Maybe you need to go work on the dad bod. Then you come back after a run and she's like, oh, you so you're all so sweaty? But man, you're handsome, I like you. I just like you the way you are. I love the dad bod. You know what I'm saying? You don't know, but we gotta work on it. We gotta work on our marriage. Maybe getting up, and do some dishes, take the kids, do let her have a spa day. I don't know what you need to do. But you gotta do something. Don't settle. Don't let the enemy settle for with this apathy. Oh, I don't care. It doesn't create oneness. It divides. Then you find yourself looking at stupid stuff on the internet that you know you shouldn't be doing. Fight for your marriage. There's a guy in the church that comes to the Carney campus. He's a love doctor. He is the love doctor. And so I asked him some advice for my marriage and he gave me some advice. And so uh, I asked if I could share it with you, and he said, absolutely, you can share it. And so we're taking a, he's taking a 75, and I'm taking 25% cut, so if you want to pay me, it's totally cool. Um, but this is priceless, this stuff. I'm, I'm already over time, so I just got to give it to you really quick. So if you need to get your phones out real quick, I want to take you to have it take a picture of the screens, because this will be good. Mostly this struggle, most of this struggle happens with men. So men, I want to help you win in your marriage right here, okay? It's a four-letter word. It says B-E-S-T, best. The B stands for bless your wife every day by taking her to God. You gotta do it. You gotta get in the word. I'm not saying that you gotta do a whole devotional and have a whole journal entry, but you gotta share what God is doing in your life. You gotta pray with her. You gotta connect with her. It's like gold to her ears. It, she will position you as the priest and the spiritual leader of your home, and it will reap benefits. You gotta do it. Bless your wife every day. Take her to God. The E stands for encourage your wife each day by telling her how much you appreciate her. Okay? Okay? Encourage your wife. You want to say things like this, gentlemen. The outfit looks amazing on you. Honey, thanks for how hard you work at mothering our kids or working on your education education, or keeping our house together. You want to affirm her. She longs for that. Encourage her. Go out of your way to be a noticer if you're not. Man, if you've got a kid that's a good noticer, oh, what's different about mom? Help me out. They probably know. Go searching and digging for some advice. Okay. S, share intimate conversations with her every day. This will be very hard. This will be very difficult for some of us. When she says, how's your day? Don't say, fine. That doesn't win with her. You gotta express, hey, who'd you got the lunch with? What made you frustrated today? What was exciting today? What happened? You know, what did you do? What didn't you do? She wants to know. She is a conversationalist. Those women, man, they just want to just communicate, communicate. And dudes are like, I want to come home and I want to watch Sports Center and I just want to tinker on something. We want to just forget about the day. You can't just check out, you got to dive in. And the last one is touch touch your wife every day with no expectations of return. Don't touch the hot zones. Okay? Don't touch the hot zones, man. That's where we want to go. Don't do it. Hold her hand. Caress her arm. Touch the small of her back when you open the door for her to get in the car, go to Walmart, Hy-Vee, wherever you go. When you kiss her, put your hands on her face, play with her hair. When you're taking her out to eat, don't make her sit on the other side of the booth. Let her snuggle up next to you. you got a wine and diner, dudes. If you'll do those touches first, then maybe the hot zones will come. I can't guarantee anything, but I promise if you'll do this, give your wife, give your spouse your best, and you will have a healthy marriage. Amen, somebody? All right, stand with me. i got to pray because I'm over my time. Today, Jesus, we love you and we worship you today. God, we want to respond today out of heart of worship to you. So God, today, wherever we find ourselves in one of the categories of of sexual immorality and dealing with this, this struggle, God, we want to bring it to you. We want to lay it down before you. God, may we find freedom in it. May we find freedom in you alone. So God, today I pray that we would just be hearers of the words but we would be doers of the word today. And God, I pray for secrets that need to be revealed. God, may we not be people that hold back but may we confess and open our, our mouth and share with you today what that is. There's power when we, can, when we speak And when we confess. God, today, if there's young people that are in here, God, I pray for purity over them. God, may they be drawn to you. May they be drawn to purity. So, Lord, bless them. God, we want to be more like you today. We want to be imitators of Christ Jesus. We love you today. We worship you today. And all God's people said, amen. Let's worship him today, church.